0: Let's go into 1 Corinthians again, and we are going to begin there, and then I'm going to go to several other places um, in the Old Testament, actually, but I didn't feel finished last week when speaking a little bit about uh, the ministers of God um, So I felt I wanted to have another uh, week, to have a look from a completely different perspective. And I suppose, in a a way, um, to help us get back to the simplicities of the way that the Lord actually ordered his church in the first place. Because you realise that much, or quite a lot that has occurred over the centuries has been um, appendages that have been added. Um, things that have been brought in. That, and whenever you, you remember in the book of the Revelation, it says, he that takes away from, Or ads, you remember. And that, of course, is always the peril for the fertile minds of men and women. And also it's also a danger for those who have a zeal for the church. And you possibly remember that uh, there is a reference made that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. comes in Romans. In those chapters where Paul is talking about the the Jew, his his people, the people that he came from. And they have a zeal for knowledge, uh, sorry, a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. And sometimes zeal can carry people to add to, and sometimes zeal can carry people to the stage where they take away from. You understand? And best intentions, best intentions. We want to do something for God. We want to make the church attractive. We want to organize it more like a business, for instance, because aren't some of the business practices effective? Uh, Advertising this and that and the other. And zeal can encourage people to add methodologies that in the end complicate because when you add or when you take away then you complicate things and if you think of your own life you would have found that when you did uh, shall I say add something to what really the Lord was saying it. do you remember Abraham and... Uh, Sarah, where they added something. Do you, do you recall the promise of God to Abraham about a son? And Abraham's getting well on in years. And his wife was barren. Sarah had no child. And you remember how they added Sarah added something from the surrounding usual habits that a, a, a childless man who was fertile would take a concubine, would take, an, and a, a lady would bear a child through. And so Hagar, that was quite common practice. <clears throat> So Hagar was added <laughs> to the schema and you think of the complications that arose from that, adding and taking away. That is a very important principle um, and it's not surprising that in the book of the Revelation, twice you get this instruction, don't add don't take away. Um, that's important. And it's the same thing with the church. And you, you can reflect upon this um, how many of the practices in the church are something, for instance, added from the Old Testament? You understand that there are things in the Old Testament that do not carry through into the New. For instance, I'm not wearing a mitre, a special hat. Um, I'm rather unusual because if you were to go into any synagogue today, where the Jews, men Jewish men are meeting you would find their heads were covered because of course everything in the Old Testament was veiled I'm going to talk about this uh, in January when we get into the gifts and the, and of the Spirit and the things that Paul writes in chapter 11 but you would find, for instance, today a young man from the United States contacted me and he, he's a cellist. And he was asked to play his cello in a big function in a massive church. And, uh, of course, all the instrumentalists in those churches... They get paid, so he, play, he played with the orchestra or whatever it is. Some of the churches are incredible. And, of course, he's asking, well, I feel uncomfortable taking a wage and uh, because it, it seems, you know, God has freely given to me. I'm not earning my living by being a cellist. I want to do it freely. And in this, of course, the church has added. And so when you add that kind of thing, payment, you can appreciate. You're going to get mercenary interests coming in, in the orchestra, um, in the band. Uh, I was earlier this year in a church in Florida. And the music was absolutely incredible, the mixture of band and orchestra. And they would have all been receiving a stipend, you know, for performing. And, um, of course, that means the church has to generate large amounts of money to facilitate this and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So you add, and it complicates. There's a very famous saying um, by some of the people uh, with connected with the Salvation Army. Um, <clears throat> when all we did, I'm not quoting exactly, when all that we did was march around the streets with our instruments to gather interest in what we were doing in the East End of London. It was fine. But as soon as we brought them into the church and added a choir to them, the spirit went out the window. Uh, An interesting thing things in places. You, you, you understand what we're saying. And when you come in to the Corinthian letter, 1 Corinthians, you may have noticed uh, that there is an absence of any mention of eldership. Any There's an absence of any mention of Particularly of leadership, even interesting because if you go to the Philippian letter, you'll find mentions of bishops and elders, and you know they're the they're the same. You, you, you understand that biblically, a bishop and elder, Presbyteros. Is the word and uh, elders, and the other word bishop is episkopos, and it's they're looking at the same thing from different perspectives. The episkopos means someone who sees over, skopos is one of the Greek words for to see, scope, microscope, um, telescope. Okay. Skopos comes from the Greek word scopos to see. And epi is the little preposition over, to see over, to watch over the flock, like a shepherd watching over the flock. And presbuteros is not referring primarily to age but to spiritual maturity. Someone who's older in the Lord with some understanding of the Lord's ways. And that's the simple statements about that permanent Leadership, but it doesn't even refer to leadership. It means oversight, care in the church. But there are references in 1 Corinthians to the kind of people that are vital for a church to be healthy. Now, I do not know in all my experience, which isn't very vast, admittedly, but we have seen churches started from nothing, from scratch, and seen what God did. And we never saw a church begin and rise unless chapter 16, um, unless there was a certain kind of person that was in the midst of the church. And so in chapter 16, you will read this. Um, If you just look at the last verse of chapter 15, which is verse 58... This is chapter 15, verse 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labour is not in vain in the Lord. Let me emphasize that this is the last verse of a chapter that Paul has been talking all about the resurrection life. Because there is a new life begun in Christ. Because resurrection has happened, in Christ and resurrection life is available to you, a new life available to you. Because you do not need to be chained to the old, the new life has begun. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labour is not in vain. Um, There's nothing like disappointment, and uh, disappointment has the danger of leading to disillusionment. And disillusionment has the danger of leading to cynicism. And you see that in some people's lives. And the antidote is always to keep firmly in your heart the quickening resurrection life of the Lord. He raised us and one of the things I'd love to talk about one day with you um, is that we are partakers of the powers of the world to come. We are partakers of the powers of the world to come. And we have the privilege of partaking of some of those powers, or uh, as much as those powers that we need. One day... I don't know if you've done any thinking about the powers of the age to come. Some of the powers you cannot have, I cannot have at the moment, though I can taste them. I'm quoting from Hebrews 6, by the way. Here's one of the powers you and I cannot yet taste. One of the powers of the ages to come. Is the power of being incorruptible. Incorruptible. Now you understand that when God made Adam and Eve. They did not have that power. They became They were created with the possibility of of being corrupted. And they were. And you and I, as long as we live here on this earth in this life, we have the possibilities... Of being corrupted. This is one of the things that Paul is constantly saying to the Corinthian church. Don't think that you've arrived. Don't think that you're never going to, you know, don't think that you're going to be fine and there's going to be nothing that's going to hit you. That you could fall in. You're not incorruptible yet. Of course, he doesn't put it that way. But one of the powers of the age to come will be the power of incorruptibility. Isn't that wonderful to think that God in the age to come, Jesus came to bring this, where another fall in all the creation is impossible. It's impossible, no possibility, that we will be as he is. Mark's One of Mark's favourite verses, if I've picked it up right, is all about being sons of God, 1 John 3, 1 you know, the sons of God, and it does not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when we see him, we shall be as he is. And Jesus worked out his incorruptibility down here on earth. Didn't he? In the midst of, they could not, Corrupt him. This is the life that was raised from the dead. And because of this, you see, because of this, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Therefore, that's why he begins verse 58 with the word, therefore. Um, you've heard the old saying I'm sure before about when you see the word therefore ask what it's there for. You've heard that one before and um, yeah there's truth in that there's truth in that and so he's spoken all about the resurrection and um, about the fact of it and And he encourages us to abound in the work of the Lord. Always abounding. (laughs) And uh, you know, I think some of you may have been in situations where, you know, you haven't always abounded. There have been things that have put you off. And in fact, I think, that one of the things that is occurring today more than has occurred at some times in church history is that there are many people who are thoroughly disheartened with their experience of church. Thoroughly disheartened. And they've they're not abounding. They're not enjoying And the resurrection life. You ask what the Holy Spirit brings. He brings the resurrection life. The life that rises from death. The increase that increases when the seed falls into the ground and dies. And if you go on... (coughs) um, One day I shall speak about meetings, especially Sunday meetings, and um, I shall probably begin from 16 verse 1, though you can't see any connection with it. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I've given orders to the churches of Galatia, so you must do also On the first day of the week, which to us is Sunday, let each one of you lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper. Uh, Wouldn't it be wonderful if we all came to a meeting on a Sunday morning, the first day of the week, with our store to give, as the Lord has prospered us. Now that's a good way. Now I don't need to preach on meetings. Um, (laughs) You know. Because now you've got it. Haven't you? You come. To the gathering. Of the Lord's people. Having. A store. And of your store you bring. The riches. That you bring. There's a clue. Straight away. That obviously. But anyway, let's go on. Um, And here's Paul. He's saying this. uh, Verse 13 of chapter 16. Watch. Stand fast in the faith. Be brave. Be strong. Let all that you do be done with love. I urge you, brethren, you know the household of Stephanus, that it is the firstfruits of Achaia, and that they have devoted themselves to the ministry of the saints that you also submit to such and to everyone who works and labours with us now there you've got a reference to submission to a certain kind of person no mention of eldership No mention of title. No mention of position. But it's all mentioning what is to underlie. It's the attitude. It's the spirit. That you submit to men uh, like Stephanus. Those like Stephanus. First fruits of Achaia that they have and this is their qualification they have addicted themselves that's what the uh, Greek word can be translated as they have addicted themselves to being deacons to the service of the saints the deacons now I do not know any church that has come into being unless it has involved someones yes. like that. Husbands and wives. No true church that has really, I hate to use the word, produced others of the same substance. Except there's been that kind of person. on persons. Persons. Now, you know that if I slip over, I mean, isn't it wonderful to, you, you just think about it. There, there is a saying, or a number of sayings, about church life. One of the the old sayings is a hundred percent, sorry, eighty percent of the labor in a church is done by twenty percent of the people. There's another saying that says first in, last out. And uh, you know, service of the saints my father was an elder in a Brethren Assembly in London. And he, he, he could not preach. He, he was not a preacher. Dear dad, he'd have a go. Um, but it wasn't his uh, gift. But as soon as anyone was sick or in hospital... My father was the first one there. Mm -hmm. My father was still running children's work. Brilliantly. When he was in his 60s. Because he loved the children and he had gift. In that realm. He served. And sometimes his service irritated mother. And... uh, that was a realm in p- perhaps my dear mother. Um, she had a my dear mother had a bit of a problem with male leadership. I won't go into that. We'll get to that when we get to it. but um, so that kind of coloured her view of everything. Um, you see very basic things colour our views. Uh, it's a shame. But he served, he was addicted to the ministry and if I may say this to you about any gifting that comes from the Holy Spirit, any gifting in the word, any any interest in in the scripture that comes from God that isn't simply where you, you know you you understand that you You have to give yourself to your gift, or perhaps I should say better, you give yourself to the Spirit of God who imparts to you the gift. That's important. Now, when I turn over my scripture into the book of Galatians, and I I look in the second chapter, I find that Paul uses a word that I want all the rest of what I want to say is based around this word. Uh, Peter is referring back to, sorry, Paul is referring back to some things that had occurred where he'd had a bit of a disagreement with Peter, Peter, And it's very wonderful, I think, that there was a recognition, verse 7, among these apostles. This is chapter 2, verse 7 of Galatians. There was a recognition. Um, On the contrary, verse 7, because there had been some difficulties, because Paul was so different to Peter. Peter was ministering primarily among the people of Jewish background. Paul was ministering among the people who came from a Gentile background. And there had been lots of gossip going on. That was leading to the possibilities of serious division. One gospel for people from a Jewish background, one gospel from people from a, a Gentile background. And this morning in the meeting, as we, as I was listening to Mark and Chris and others who spoke, um, my mind was in the Gospels themselves, how they begin. You, you probably aren't aware that John's Gospel was primarily written for the Gentiles. It wasn't written for the Jews. It was written much later than the other three Gospels. Matthew was a Gospel that was written to the Jews. Mark was similar and this Luke was written somewhat for, and that's why Luke is at pains to talk about Jesus, the events of Jesus's, you know, John Baptist, all the things that are to do with Jews, the Jewish background, Matthew's like that. Mark doesn't talk about Jesus' birth. He begins with, with John Baptist, but everything is geared to the Jew. Let's assert that Jesus is of the right lineage. Let's assert that this is how he came. But John's Gospel's not like that. It's written to the Gentile, to to everyone. And it it begins much further back. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. It doesn't go into Jesus' Jewishness. It it says that he came to his own, but his own received him not. It, It speaks about in him was life, and the life was the light of men. The life was the light of men. And I don't know whether you've thought about this, because as we were talking this morning in the meeting about the events of Bethlehem and uh, the stable, everything. Do you know, uh, there's a picture that was painted by Rembrandt of Jesus in the manger in the stable and uh, Rembrandt painted like this where the light, light is very key in Rembrandt's paintings and the light, a beam of light is shining and it's shining from above somewhere across and there's beams in the stable and the beams are shining And in the shape of a cross, right across the manger. Rembrandt is capturing the fact that Jesus is the light of the world. And the life that's in him is light. And it's all about, obviously Jesus would be born in a stable. Obviously the cross is implicit in every step Of his life. Amen. Amen. You see. And everything in him was life. And the life is the light of men. And this is why if you look at the the Lord that way. And then he says to us, doesn't he? Among whom you shine as lights in the world. And in a church, there must be those who are lights to those that are entering in. Who show the Calvary way. Who show the life of service. Who show the life of love. Who show the life. It's not office, you see. It's not Uh, who's pastor I have an aversion really you know I do this Saturday night zoom meeting and it always I I don't like it when someone talking after the meeting on the zoom as we pray and talk calls me oh pastor Bernard I I don't like anything like that because of course it's not biblical biblical that's one of the things that are added. Paul doesn't say Apostle Paul. He says Paul an Apostle. Paul, it's just a descriptive term to his kind of service. you understand? The important word, they've addicted themselves to being deacons of the saints. That's what we read. And here you've got Paul and Peter. And there's a recognition that comes. Here it is. On the contrary, what, everything sort of got sorted out. Verse 7, when they saw that the gospel for the uncircumcised had been committed to me. As the gospel for the circumcised was to Peter. They recognised, everybody recognised what God had done. Verse 8, how had they recognised? Because he who worked effectively in Peter for the apostleship to the circumcised also worked effectively in me toward the Gentiles. That's how they recognised. Now, I've been in church situations. I remember one very particularly (coughs) where someone had been added to the church, he and his wife, from another locality, and that person in the end became the, end, the, the main leader of that church. But I well remember how after about a year or something like that, all the church was gathered together. And one of the leaders or people said, Do you think it's time that we recognized that brother so-and-so Is an elder among us. Mm -hmm. And we pray for him. Let's recognize it. They didn't say ordain him. They didn't say. uh, Let's uh, have a discussion about it. Uh, Let's have a long long study. It was simply a matter of recognition. And everybody said amen. We recognize. That he, as a gift that God has given us in leadership, in eldership, that he's been serving the saints, that he's been ministering and caring and so on without any name or anything like that. And so they just recognized and it was all done in sort of five minutes, no problem. No discussion, no argument. They recognized. And, you know, he goes on here, verse 9, And when James, Cephas, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that had been given to me, they gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship, That we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Everything is filled with the thought of recognition, agreement. They recognize that God had been working his works in these men. And Paul uses this word, they seem to be pillars. Now, Don't take that negatively. You know, they, they they seem to be pillars. You know, they, they were pillars in the church. Now, Bill's been involved in building. I certainly, have, in times past, have been involved in building. And um, you know some countries that we have gone to do you know, and even in Marsh Barton at the moment, they're putting up some great big buildings there. Of course, what goes up first? The pillars. So you go to, well, let's go to Rome. Let's go to, you know, and the pillars are the last things standing. First things in place. Last thing still standing. pillars. Very important. They, they seem to be pillars in the church. Imagine a massive church in Jerusalem, and uh, you know, God had moved there mightily, and they seem to be pillars in the church there. Isn't it good there's a church with some pillars? You know not, you, you all notice the plural because I want to emphasize that as well. Not singular. Pillars. That brings sometimes a little difficulty, but it also brings safety. Doesn't say pillar. Pillars. And these are the sorts of, you see, when you pray, When you pray for God's church, Lord, will you raise up pillars? Men who know what it means to be, I'm particularly emphasizing men. And because it's the way that God has ordered things, then we must not tamper with what he's ordered, simply controlled by bad history because men have had bad press deservedly so Uh, but there have been good men (laughs) you know there have been good men they haven't all been chauvinists You know we're affected by things and the church has been adding. But anyway, you know that what I want to say now is all back in the Old Testament and I want to just do a brief excursion to finish with back in the Old Testament about pillars. Because You will remember that the Lord had his tabernacle. And there were pillars in the tabernacle. And the pillars are very interesting. There's a lot of instruction for us, spiritual instruction. If we are going to become that kind of person, whether we be male or female, who are pillars In God's house. So I I slip back. Into the book of Exodus. And I just. Begin to focus. On. Everybody here knows. Of course that. Moses was not allowed. To build. According to. His pattern. Now I. I Obviously haven't got time to. To. Go too much into detail, but the pattern showed to you on the mountain, it's Mount Sinai. Moses was taken up, you remember that? And some of the elders of Israel were taken up in the mountain. And they saw things. They saw something of the tabernacle in heaven. And maybe you've never thought about this. But when you get into the book of the Revelation and you are taken up with John in chapter 4 into heaven. You begin to see into the heavenly temple, the heavenly tabernacle, the heavenly things. And have you never noticed, of course, that you see God enthroned and you see his son, the lamb, serving? Have you never noticed that you've got 24 orders up there? You've got... God has got some pillars up there. Some heavenly pillars. They're not equal to him, but in his will he chose to create. And have you noticed that he has seven spirits? Don't assume that they're the Holy Spirit. Don't assume that. They're sent forth into all the earth in the in the end. Just like in the Old Testament, God had some watchers that you can read about in the book of Daniel and the book of Zechariah. Watchers that were sent into all the earth. They were pillars. They were doing his work. And then you find you've got archangels. And they're among and, and isn't it wonderful they didn't fall astray one of them did it seems if he was an archangel seems he was Lucifer but most of them kept their proper place and so God surrounded himself with pillars in his universe angels archangels elders seven spirits in the old testament you read about seraphim and cherubim and when God said to Moses you build it according to the pattern showed you on the mountain don't think he's that Moses got a blueprint he saw he saw was revelation. Same thing happened, of course, didn't it, to David when it came to building the temple. Do you remember that? He wasn't allowed to build it according to some pattern of some pagan temple of which there were many other gods and so on <clears throat> according to the pattern that was showed you, David. They saw something and you know the church, we must seek to allow the Lord to build through us according to the pattern showed us in his presence. We mustn't put people um, into a position. I'll never forget in uh, one of the Pacific Islands I was asked to do these meetings it was so strange to me, grass huts, and I was, no roads, I was flown in in a little plane, and I don't even remember, I think I must have walked to the village, but I remember arriving in the village, and uh, I was shown to my hut, and I unrolled my mat, and uh, You know, the mosquito net and all that stuff. And they just told me, the meeting will begin uh, at nightfall. Oh, where? You will hear the music. There's no electricity in the village or anything like that. And sure enough, I heard the music and I made my way up the pathway in the direction of the music and came to a kind of place that had been built. They had a generator going, they had music, they had a band and they had everything like that. So bizarre in the middle of a (laughs) a grass-hutted village. Um, to me it was bizarre but I do remember one of the meetings on a Saturday night and somehow I was preaching to these people on being priests of God God's priests serving him in holiness and I pointed out how nobody could serve uh, unless he was circumcised. And that led me to say a few things about spiritual circumcision of the heart, where all your flesh and pride has been cut off and you know that you're a crucified man. I shall never forget this, because I turned to the bass guitarist. Occasionally, I suppose, I do these things. And I said to him, are you a circumcised man? If you're not, you shouldn't be playing that guitar. And he literally... He shook his head like this at me and said, No, I'm not. I'll never forget it. Just a young man who was there for the joy of playing his music. And, uh, it was a shock to me. You see what I'm trying to say here. People do things, we must build according to the Lord's pattern. We must have pillars in God's church according to his pattern. We must have elders like they are in heaven. Nobody really knows who those 24 elders are. There are lots of surmises. Though there is a psalm that talks about God surrounding Himself with His counsel, you know God is wonderfully social, isn't He? Uh, you, you understand that, you know. There, there's nothing in in God that says, oh, "I keep all the power to myself." He, he loves to share, and you know there there in there is in there in His. In his confidences. Thank the Lord. We must have pillars. In God's house. Those who have addicted themselves. To the ministry. Those in whom. There is recognition. That. Like Paul and Peter. In their different roles. He who works effectively. In me. (laughs) He who works effectively in Peter. He who works effectively in us. You know? Am I making sense? That's so that there can be that recognition. So that we're not just voting people in. And then you resign after, you know, you have to resign after two years or three years or something. We must build according to the pattern. And when I look into Exodus, and I read some things in Exodus about the pillars. And if you put um, your eye down... In chapter 26. Does everybody understand. That. uh, There were. Quite a lot of pillars. But the actual. Holy of holies. And the holy place. That was boards. Boards. Made of wood. Overlaid with gold connected together so that it comprised a room on three sides divided into two and by a curtain a beautiful veil very lovely and this was set up In the centre, and these boards, they each had tenons at the bottom, and there were these sockets of silver, great big lumps of silver. I did work out the weight of them one time, and I can't they weren't light, they were, I don't know, 15 or 20 kilos apiece, and... Uh, They were set in the sand and these boards rested on them and they were clipped together and so the tabernacle was made. But the curtain, the first curtain, what we call the veil, it had some pillars because it had to be hung on pillars. So the doorway... Was a curtain hung on pillars. So if we look very, very carefully, I think we'll find something in chapter 26. And let's have a look if we can find this. Um, <clears throat> verse 31 of chapter 26 you shall make a veil woven of blue, purple and scarlet thread and fine woven linnet. It shall be woven with artistic design of cherubim. Uh, uh, you know, I could stop on all this stuff. Um, uh, must have been very beautiful, mustn't it? Must have been very beautiful. You, you know that in the Holy of Holies, that holiest room of all, you remember it was cubicle. Did you know that? It was a cube. Mm-hmm. It was as high as it was long as it was wide. And there was no light there, no lamp because the glory of God did lighten it. There were no shadows there. And God was enthroned upon his seat of mercy. And uh, there was no shadow, so there was no dark corner in there. No dark corner up there. You know, we have a bit of a damp problem in our house, you know, and you get mold up in this corner and it's all a bit dark and it has to be you know, but the, it was all light The it's tremendous which meant that if you'd have gone in to this, the outer room and looked you would have seen this beautiful curtain, this veil and you've been told that it was woven of Blue and purple and scarlet. Must have been beautiful. Like a thick brocade curtain. But not only that. There was the gold. One of the wonderful things about gold. Is it's so malleable. And it can even be cut down. Ask my daughter about this. Who's a jeweller goldsmith it could be cut down to little threads and so with great skill they had embroidered into the curtain carabins in gold now the light wouldn't be able to penetrate through the gold so what you saw of course if you'd have been looking you'd seen the glorious light filtering through, <laughs> filtering through, leaving this wonderful pattern of all these cherubim. And cherubim speak of mercy and protection and mercy and protection, mercy and protection, you know. But there they are on the curtain and you'd have looked at it. And, and so you saw God's mercy, you saw his royalty, purple you saw his bloodshed you you know the the scarlet you saw his heavenliness, the blue that's the colours of the thing the blue the scarlet the purple you saw God and there was this curtain hanging on the pillars Filtering through the pillars. Filtering through the pillars. Am I a little pillar in God's house? Does something filter through of God through the veil of my flesh? You see, this is, the, this is the leadership. This is the eldership. This is the, these are the pillars. Am I making sense? It's ha- hanging there. And filtering through. And you say, well, what were these pillars um, made of? You see, well, verse 32, it says, the four pillars of acacia wood. Overlaid with gold. Acacia wood. Is wilderness wood. Hard. It's a hard wood. They would have had considerable labor. To cut it down. To uproot it. From its wilderness growth. Cut it down. Shape it and replant it on sockets of silver. Do you want? To, you are getting the picture? Overlay it with gold and replant it in the wilderness. <laughs> Amen. This is what new birth. This is actually a picture of what God has. You know, John the Baptist preached it. The axe is laid to the root of the trees. Your old life, my old life. The axe is laid to the root of the trees. I'm cut down, but I'm not put into the fire. My humanity. You know, it's reshaped. It's encased in gold. And I stand. You know, on a socket of silver. Silver, some of you know this. I don't know whether you are aware that there were three metals used in the building of the tabernacle and the temple. Gold, silver, and bronze. Nobody quite understands what the bronze is. Is it copperish? Well, one of the things about these metals, they are all easily malleable and they do not rust, they do not decay. Hallelujah. You see, God is speaking to us that God gives us a life. Imagine, you see, I think I want to be a pillar in God's house. I want to take him up on his promise. Jesus made a promise that those that overcome, in chapter 3 of the Revelation, I will make him a pillar in my Father's house. I'll make him a pillar. I think I want to be a pillar so that he can hang his veil upon me. You know, that his light, can come through but I've got to be a man who's cut down and replanted in the same wilderness of this world but on the socket of silver I'm a, I'm a redeemed man you, you know that silver means redemption don't you he's redeemed me I've bought you with a price that's 1 Corinthians isn't it I bought you with a price. You are redeemed. 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 You do not belong to this world. You and I do not belong to the devil. He thought he got Jesus. You realize that for a while at Calvary thought got him. I'm, I've got him now. You see, as he went up carrying his cross. But he hadn't got him at all. And because he never got Jesus, he never got you who are uh, in Christ. You see, you're a pillar in the house of the Lord. Tremendous, isn't it? And, of course, you know, I, I, I find these things quite Challenging. Because the door into God's house, you've got to go through the area where the pillars are. You see, there were three doors. Did you know that in the, in the tabernacle complex? There were three doors. There's this first one, the veil, where the pillars are, are there and they're set on sockets of silver. And they're overlaid with gold. And then there's the door to the holy place where the lamp was. And where the table of showbread was. And that one had five pillars. It's very lovely. Five is the number of grace in the scripture. There it is. And it had a curtain on it so the priests would go in and out of there and there's that door and the thing that's different there of course is the sockets are not silver you'll have to check me up on this because the time's rushing on but the sockets are made of bronze isn't that interesting not silver and then the third gate is the first one you'd go into you see all the curtains round about that were hanging on pillars. And there's, I think, 56 of them. Mm-hmm. All the pillars, all the way round, And the curtains are hanging there. And these curtains aren't beautiful curtains with woven work. They're linen. They're like a kind of a creamy colour. And Part of the purpose of them is that onlookers could see through. They could see through what's going on, the sacrifices. And then at the front, of course, there's pillars because there's got to be a gateway. And there's this curtain hanging there. And the pillars, it's hanging on the pillars. And all of these pillars the sockets that they're resting on are made of bronze. And if you know anything about bronze in the Bible you know Jesus appears you know in Revelation chapter 1 and his feet are like bronze burnished bronze as though it burnt in a furnace. Do you know what bronze stands for? Always in scripture. Judgment. Judgment. You see, pillars enter into the things of God in the outer court because they accept the judgment. Mm. Judgment on themselves. Judgment on their sin. God's judgments, God's judgments, God's judgments. So there is a very beautiful altar made of bronze. There's a a wonderful laver made of bronze. Everything speaks, isn't it wonderful, judgment past. Nobody need be judged in the future. Who have accepted their judgment now in Christ. That's the gospel. I was alive. I'm dead. I died with Christ. Judgments passed. I died with Christ. You say, well there will be a judgment. Yes, that will be to do with works. Not to do with eternal state. That's settled for me. That's settled, I hope, for you. But you see, these pillars, they're all standing there on the solid ground that they've accepted the judgment. I died. You see, they're all standing there further in on the silver of redemption. Am I making sense as I try and bring this out to you? I've got another ten minutes or so. So I'll, I'll, I'll go into the temple because, you know, the temple that Solomon built, it's, again, very, very beautiful. And there are pillars there, but only two, remember? Pillars. And uh, there are two in the book... Of Chronicles. You can look in the second book of Chronicles. It's also in the book of Kings. And there are little details here. I hope this is helpful to you. Sometimes it's helpful to see the types, as they're called, and the figures. But um, here we find I'm in two Chronicles at the beginning, and uh, chapter three and uh, he talks a little bit about these pillars verse 15 2 chronicles chapter 3 verse 15 also he made in front of the temple two pillars 35 cubits high and the capital that was on the top of each of them was five cubits he made wreaths of chain work as in the inner sanctuary and put them on top of the pillars and he made one hundred pomegranates and put them on the wreaths of chain work then he set up the pillars before the temple, one on the right hand and the other on the left he called the name of the one on the right hand Jacob, and the name of the one on the left Boaz it's funny isn't it, naming the pillars and uh, both the names are associated with the idea of establishment And permanency. These are set. Yes. They're established. He shall establish. They are permanent. And do you notice. That uh, they were. Utilitarian. There's quite a lot of detail about them. If you. Go further down <clears throat> you'll read about them into chapter 4 and it says verse 12 of chapter 4 the two pillars and the bowl-shaped capitals that were on the top of the two pillars the two networks covering the two bowl-shaped capitals which were on top of the pillars 400 pomegranates for the two networks, two rows of pomegranates for each network to cover the bowl-shaped capitals that were on the pillars. Wow, all this stuff that's mentioned. Uh, Where were they made? (laughs) However, do you make something that's this big? That's the thing. Is there, is there any clue to, to how God made them or how they were made? Perhaps some of you know what it was. Is it plain mold somewhere outside? That's right. That's right. You see, on the plain of Jordan, they dug out the mold. <coughs> And dug it out. And all of that bronze, it had to be poured into the mould. It had to take the shape of the pattern. And he made pour 400 pomegranates. How about that? To put on the top pomegranates. Or whatever, why pomegranates why not oranges or you know I, I, I love these sort of pictures because you know we had pomegranate garden uh, in our garden in, uh, in Perth we had a lot of fruit trees but we had pomegranates and <laughs> a lot of people couldn't be bothered with pomegranates except a few of the, in the church that came from Italian background Angelos who used to come, didn't he? Angelo, I mean. And um, he'd come and collect them and we'd pick them as well because they're so laborious. Mm -hmm. They're delicious to eat, but you've got to open them up and you've got to get all... you You know what I mean? And one of the lovely things in real hot Perth, when it's 35 or 38 degrees Celsius, is to have in the fridge a big bowl of pomegranates all ready for you. And you take this ice-cold pomegranate and put it in your mouth. But every one of those is a seed. Yeah. Everyone is a seed. That's the thing about pomegranates. The potential of fruitfulness. And so you saw these beautiful pillars up the front of the beautiful temple made of bronze, shining in the the sunlight, and they're crowned with this network, network which, if you read carefully, said the same network that they made for the inner house. So what was in the inner house was showing on the outer house, crown of the network, everything brought together as one and all this fruitfulness. Don't do you want to be a pillar like this in God's house? You know where you're crowned with the fruit of God's Spirit, God's life. Where's crowning? And if I was to take you into the king's account, I suppose I ought to do it, really, didn't I? First um, Kings, and uh, I think you'll find something in chapter 7. 1st book of Kings, chapter 7. And it says this, um, <laughs> verse 21. He set up the pillars by the vestibule of the temple. He set up the pillar on the right and called its name Jakin And he set up the pillar on the left and called its name Boaz. The tops of the pillars were in the shapes of lilies. So the work of the pillars was finished. So you've, you've got lilies. In the shape of lilies. Anyone, anything, know any anyone know anything about the Middle Eastern lily? You know fragrance. So you've got strength. you've got fruitfulness. You've got that which is in the inner, the network, up there, crowning. We are one. a net is something which is many formed into one. Perhaps when I get home tonight, and once I've calmed down a bit from preaching to you, I might sit up till about midnight, weaving the network on the back of a chair. Cane work. Making many parts one <laughs> into one. Solid whole. Network. You see, that's the work of the church. That's the work of God. That's the inward work. When Solomon built his temple, he was instructed to have network in the innermost part of it. Because that's the church, it is many made one. They're still individual parts, but they're moulded together into one. And this was made out of bronze, and it was gold in the innermost part. In the outer, this, these pillars, it was there on the top. According to the inner, so on the outer. So you've got strengths, you have got fruitfulness, you've got this network of unity and then you've got the fragrance of the lily. All, oh, you know, he's a fragrant man. A good marriage, just natural now, should become more fragrant than it was in the beginning. Now, how much more in the things of God, as men grow on and in the Lord and women grow on in the Lord and, and they become pillars in the lord's house they've addicted themselves to the ministry they they're people who've accepted the judgment i thought of this uh, you know this morning as i was listening to the various brothers talking and i was thinking yes yes as we were being encouraged about humility and lowliness and this way of god he's the light of the world he shows us the only way to grow And to live is to die. The only way to reign is to humble yourself. The only way to be told come up higher is take the lowest seat. You see. And I was thinking about this. Oh yes Lord. We must accept that we are to to accept your judgment. The sacrificial way. The washing in the brass labor, the bronze labor. You know, we must be pillars that, first of all, are stood on the judgment. We've judged it. You know, the the bronze sockets that the pillars rested. Then we can go further in and and into the acceptance. Oh, we're redeemed. We're standing on redemption ground as some people used to say. And this is, this is church. This is, we won't have real church without pillars like this. men and women who are addicting themselves to the service who are prepared, you know, even... I, I do like it the way Paul says about Peter and James and John. They really seem to be like pillars in, in that house. They, they seem to be pillars. Amen. But you know that they went around and I guess you could say Peter and John were movable pillars. James was a rather permanent pillar, wasn't he? Mm -hmm. And, um, uh, you know, he he was in Jerusalem most of the time. (coughs) You know, but I guess you need both. And don't we need people like that in our lives? And who through the veil of their flesh hanging on the pillars of their lives, you're seeing something of the light of the glory of God. How different this is from thinking we're qualified because we went to a Bible school. <laughs> How different this is from, well, thinking, well, I've, he, he's got leadership potential, let's put him through DTS or something. I'm not being unkind but we, these are things we add and sometimes God wants to take away what we've added you know and uh, amen I think I've said enough I hope it's a little different for us to think of things this way uh, I have no recollection ever of speaking on these lines before um, but it's the way things came to me and I th- thought, yes Lord I want to be a gateway <laughs> you know, the pillars in the gateway you, am I making sense? there yeah, they were, the three gateways and that's uh, what I want to be you know, a pillar that people, can you imagine it sometimes, there. They swept the curtains back, and there's the pillars standing there, and the way is open and enter in. And of course, I didn't ought to finish, did I? Unless I made a remark about dear old Samson. (laughs) You know, you remember him and the false temple? And you know how that temple came down. Mm -hmm. Because Samson poured all. And I say this to you all. All the pillars that this world has been built on. Its systems. It has built a false temple brothers and sisters. Governmental temple. Economic temple. Political temple. Philosophical temple. It's built it up. And one day our Lord Jesus will just pull it down. And it will not stand. And the whole temple goes when the pillars go. And I'm sorry to say that that's what will happen in a church as well. That if the pillars fail to be standing there solidly on self-judgment the bronze, standing there solidly that they're redeemed and they belong not to themselves but to him. They've been bought with a price. If they stand not there then that local temple will fall. That local building will fall. Individuals will be saved but the work will decline and fall so there we are amen Amen and amen may the Lord draw our hearts by these types and pictures Mm -hmm. you know and perhaps some of you are thinking about Romania and churches in Romania and people you know and I think about churches that we know around the world and Think of the pillars, the pillar men and women that we know in places. You know, think of them and of God's ways. And we think about the glossy things that sometimes we have gotten involved in, preached in, and in some ways couldn't wait to get out of. You know, because you know what will stand so amen brothers and sisters I've done amen